Good, how are you? I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and for the detail today I'm with dairy farmer Chris Lewis at Pukiatua on the border of Waikato and King Country. And I'm here to find out more about the issues that have caused so much anger and resentment, freshwater regulations and other environmental crackdowns on the farm. Politicians are scrapping over it, farmers think people in the towns hate them for it and there's a lot of worry about mental health. You like my glitter gumboots? Lovely. The... <laughs> I've just arrived, and already there's a bit of drama. My daughter just ringing me. Oh, okay. Hey, okay. We're about. All right. Okay, I'll be out there soon. A tree's crashed across the road outside the house. Jump in, eh? I'll okay. go check it out. With helmets on, we jump in the side by side. That's a farm version of a golf cart. The 500-hectare dairy and dry stock farm is on rolling hills with a view of Maunga Tautari, the largest ecological island in the country. It's had a lot of influence over developments on the farm, including the planting of a nature corridor. But there's no time to steer into the distance. We have to deal with that tree. I'll text my staff and ask them to bring the tractor up to shift it. Chris gets the message with pictures to the farm staff instantly. We've got an internal um, farm chat on Jabiba. I don't know. If it's like WhatsApp, and learnt now you know technology can be good for communicating. Yeah, absolutely. So I won't just go down the couch now anyway. Yeah. I'll just take my cafeteria with me. Chris is on the Federated Farmers Board in charge of employment and immigration, and he's from a farming family. Now my family have been farming in the South Waikato, which is the Cambridge, Tiamutu, Ojohonga area since 1860. Have they? And so I'm the only one who's gone dairy farming. And all the rest, uh, you know, I grew up shearing sheep and digging sheep and drenching lambs and all the things I, um, I didn't like about sheep farming. I went dairy farming. And uh, while they might do those things once or twice, once a month, I milk cows every day. So we've got a dry stock farm here and a dairy farm. But the difference uh, is the dairy farming is a bit more viable. Is it? And that's why you saw the big swing uh, 20 years ago from dry stock farms to dairy. Yeah. Dairy is, can pay the bills slightly better than dry stock farming. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, dairy is a tough game. Sometimes I wish I just had a, uh, I worked in town and had a wage. And I guess, you know, you've seen the debate in the, in the media. They've tried to lead it from Wellington, have some very strong legislation. Making our favourite swimming holes and rivers safe to jump into without getting sick is going to cost $700 million. A major government plan to clean them up includes stopping stock from getting closer than three metres away from streams. There'll be a limit on the amount of synthetic fertiliser farmers can use and they'll have to tell the local council how much they use each year. And making sure farmers have these farm plans which are very, very uh, paper-based. Water regulations released today aim to protect these spots and make our waterways swimmable within a generation. Farmers have more time to comply and a national bottom line limit on nitrogen and phosphorus has been parked for now. But the government is setting a limit on synthetic fertiliser use instead and more farmers will have to fence their waterways. Only 20% of farmers will have to reduce fertiliser use to comply. But for myself and a lot of farmers in our area here, we've preferred to... Um to lead with a spade, the hammer, the post. If you want to look after the environment, you're never going to do it from the office. You're never going to do it from Wellington. It's about 
striking the right balance where your fenced off areas, planting trees, retiring land, and getting the stocking rate right, getting the land management right. And there's no doubt about it, farming has an effect on the environment, so do people. And I've dropped back my stocking rate by 150 cows in the last two or three years, and we'll probably put in slightly less feed in. We've gone de-intensified it just to get that, that magic spot, that happy place. Right, but that must mean that your income falls? The income falls, yes. Our income's fallen by 300,000. That's 300 grand less we've spent in our local town. No, Is spent, that a year? Yeah, that we've spent in our, wow. on our staff. Yes, our expenses have dropped, don't get me wrong. Mm. And, and, and one of the drivers was around profitability and long-term viability of the business. You know, uh, in the next couple of three, four years, the government signalled that we need to have farm environment plans and I've got one which is probably ten years old, five years old, ten years old. It's outdated yeah. to the current legislation. Is this the legislation around fresh water? Fresh water, yes. Yeah. So our focus probably will be for the next three years is probably stop the environmental improvement here and it'll take us a couple of years to tickle the boxes on a bit of paper and, right. and do this expensive farm environment plan. It's not cheap. And How much? I suspect for us, us going to be in that 10 to 20 grand we've got to write our cheque for. But on the other hand, it's going to be 10 to probably 40 grand of my time and staff's time to comply with it. And so when I'm focused on, on doing that, I'm not focused on other things. One thing, farming is real recognised as you're overworked. We're basically slaves to the land, just about. Um, my kids were saying to me in the last, actually last night they complained to me, you haven't had a day off in 100 days. When are you to take a day off? Well, I need to do this, need to do that, you know. To get that balance right is very hard, and you, sit, you see farmers talking about mental health, whereas 20 years ago it was a taboo issue, very taboo. Yeah. Um, but the, we're trying to get talk about it now to make it get farmers talking about it to look after themselves. You don't make it sound very attractive. Well, my kids are 13 and 15. You know, that's the thing about careers and leave school. Would you go farming? Look, and on the other hand, in my role as employment and immigration spokesperson on the board. I'm trying to encourage a lot of Kiwis to go farming right now. Come farming because we want 30,000 employees or 40,000 people. And so on one hand, I've got, to, I've got to put a bright spin on it and say farming's such a fantastic career. Come work for me and enjoy the wide open spaces and housing and meat and milk and all that, you know? Yeah. On the other hand, I look at it as a long-term career. If my kids want to go farming, I'd like to see them go to farm ownership too. Are they keen though? They are keen, but we're saying to them, go go get another career, go work for someone else. And when you come, if you want to go farming, yes, we're cool, we'll work with you, but you've got to have that passion and drive. With the new freshwater regulations and the, say, the time and money that it's going to cost you over the next few years, would you still say to people, come and work on a farm? Yes, I would. The thing about, um, I want to be clarified, or the cost of that, is you know, there is regulation needed but it's got to be good regulation. You know, when you bring in rules and regulations which are just going to add costs and, and burden, but then you start quick, is it going to improve water quality? You know, we've planted close to 26,000 native trees here in the last seven years on this farm, and we've retired a lot of land, and that comes at a massive cost. And look in front of me there, I've got a, probably says a screw press separation, the big concrete wall down there with the blue pump. Oh, yeah. That's my red thing, is my mixer wagon. We provide a, uh, you know, we have a farm consultant nutritionist, so when we feed the cows in the, with maize or palm kernel, you know, it's like feeding kids. You've got to have the, the diet, the cows, you got to have a balanced diet. Mm. And so, but uh, down the bottom in here, I'll show you in a minute, 
That's 200k there I've spent on that part of the effluent system. There's the effluent pond worth probably a couple hundred grand. The actual effluent system, it's probably uh, we pump it out, it's worth another 150 we've spent. The feed pad's about 100k there. The cow shed, we spent about 1.3 million on there quite a few years ago. I'm just dropping these figures like it's, it's nothing, but it's a lot of money. Judith Collins. Yes. You have said these freshwater standards would be gone by lunchtime or at least reformed. They would be reformed, and as the scientists have said, they're a waste of paper. The <laughs> fact is, it is not possible to have a one-size-fits-all for the whole country. And I'd also say to you that our very worst rivers are our urban rivers. But and I think the... that we need yes. to understand yes. that. And as they you are, said, but our urban rivers make up less than 1% of our water. And they're the so... filthiest ones we have. And um, why is that? So, so would a national government commit to nitrate levels in our rivers? We'd be very careful about that, depending yep. on where the region is, because what we know is that if we did that in some parts of the country, such as Pukekohe in uh, the northern region, we would actually end up without the market gardens, or at least with at least about a 20% so decrease in their loss, so in, in their use. So, so a market garden, as long as, it, as long as it's making money, can pollute our rivers. Is that what no, you're we're saying? No, we're not saying to pollute the rivers. It's very important, the use of nitrate itself. We're not saying it would go in the rivers. Um, actually, it should be in the soil, actually growing vegetables. Well, I, Cinder it, Ardern, nitrates, cap, China, seen, America, yeah. Europe... They've got a cap and we don't have it. Ours is very high. And you've seen our policy on nitrates, on winter grazing, um, on fencing, on the things that will stop the degradation, make a material difference over five years, and within a generation, make those rivers swimmable again. That is how long, even with these changes, it will take to repair what has been done over a number of years. If these regulations, the freshwater regulations, had come into force, would you be doing that kind of work anyway? I started this work probably 10 years ago, and even in the last national government, they toughened the rules up big time. And so all the regional councils have done been doing these plans the last 10 years, and, and, and the rules have got tougher and tougher, and, and the time frames. But to add an, another set of rules over the already tough rules, I guess it's just... Is it a step too far? I don't know. But just... Are they going to clean up the rivers any faster or no. any better? But are you saying that if you didn't have these new freshwater regulations, that the water would be as clean without them? At the moment, they've put these rules in. They haven't done anything to improve water quality. So, and in future, are they going to improve water quality? Probably the old catchment. Don't get me wrong, they probably would. But... Over the uh, over the whole farming sector, you know, in the day it's just been a uh, a sledgehammer on on, on a uh, a walnut. The one thing that this government hasn't done on these changes is taken the community with them, had dialogue with them, engaged them, and saying, look, this is why we're doing it. Have some feedback. We want to work with you because we want clean water with you. Mm. And I look at my local catchment here, and we have a sediment issue. We have a coli issue. That's a two, if you want to clean up water quality in my local catchment, yeah. that's what you should be targeting. And so what I've done in front of here, you see, is some of my worst parts. Yeah, what are we looking at here? Um, Very steep hillside. Not the steep hillsides there. From, my, from the bottom down here all the way up, for example, uh, that's probably the worst part of my farm. And it goes all the way up to the native bush up that you can see. Yeah. And so we've planted about 13,000 natives in there. 
in some stages where it's quite bad, I'll put a, like a 50 metre setback. Other places probably 10 metres, some places 5 metres setback. And my worst part of my farm here. Worst part because what is it? A, because it's erosion. a it's erosion. Okay. And so I've identified that as a farmer because I know my local problems. Yeah. Farm plan, it might, it probably identify it. Government rules, probably not, you know. This bit in front of us, you know, we fenced it off. We had to spray back all the weeds. Then the weeds came back, we sprayed it back again. It took us a year to get the land right to ready for planting. We spot sprayed it, planted a tree, and then the weeds came back. And we did, in this front in front of me, probably five or six sprays in the first year to suppress the weeds and won the following year. And so while the tree might have costed five or six dollars, uh, that tree's probably had about ten dollars of investment each, you know. And, and you're doing that not to tick a box. You're doing it because you recognise that there is a problem and you have to do something about it. Well, I guess it goes to also our, our family values, our farming values. We want to run a farming system that's environmentally sustainable, uh, people sustainable, and, and also for family. We're at the high-tech cowshed now where Chris points out the health and safety signs, the COVID app sign-in, yes, even in a milking shed. Got whiteboards everywhere, notice boards of even just for, you know, animal, animal health, you know, everything should be written down, you know? Yeah. And the technology that helps make the farm clean and green. And I was one of the first who put an automation in which each cow's got a individual ID. And they come in a shed, their number comes up on a screen, the cups go on, they get it allocated a bit of meal. We measure the cell count, we measure the milk, the cows get weighed. I've got a computer in there, it can do a hundred, come, come to me with a hundred di- different reports. Ten years ago, I put it in and people are going, ooh, shit, that's a risk, Chris. And I was only about, was only about 40 of these types of sheds in the country. Yeah. Now they're very commonplace, this discussion. And I look back like I was really pushing the boundaries ten years ago, now this is this common. You know, even five years ago, I look back to some of the farming practices I did. I think, shit, I'll never do that again now. <laughs> but Chris, I have to say that you're clearly, you're a, an industry leader and you're using your own initiative, but there must be farmers out there who aren't. They're like, in every industry, there's a lag so don't get me wrong. And and you could call them the one percenters, you know, if you want to steal that term off. They, you know, you steal that term off what the, the gangs use, you know, they call themselves the one percenters. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, um, but in, in life, you know, I know, and uh, amongst my farming peers, there's, there's farmers who don't do things as well. So set the rules up that don't penalise the, the leading farmers. I'm a fan of farm environment plans. And yes, we've got to do a level of paperwork. Don't get me wrong on this. But if you don't put rules in to, to making sure that the the, the bottom 1% or the laggards do it correctly, actually target the, the rules so it gets them off the couch or good kick up the arse to do it. Actually, you've got to deal with the core root, which is why it's happening. And for farming, it is, you know, why, why aren't they complying? Part of it is that you know, they probably need to retire some of them, and that'll happen with succession planning. Part of that problem will just happen with time, so you just got to be patient. There has been a lot of political um, talk about 
the farms. There's an inevitability here we have to face, but they are the ones talking about sustainability. Well, actually, they are the ones talking about what regenerative they're also farming. Talking about, they are the ones talking about They're also their talking about their mental health and the fact that they're sick and of together, being blamed for everything. That's where we've been formulating these plans. Farmers suffering mental health issues and they're saying we need help and we want you to support us and now we're being told by Ms Ardern oh well that's the time of the past. We have to take responsibility for our This particular what leader is and that's your plan. What what for, dear? Climate change. Climate change. Okay, well I'll tell you what. Number one is this. We support our New Zealand farmers. Number two, we give them the science to help them cut their carbon emissions. Picking up, on this, Picking up on this point, Picking up on this point, what do you say to farmers who are saying, look, it's getting really hard to run my farm. I can't afford what Labor's going to bring in. we can lift the farms. value of their product on the world stage and they're already seeing that when you have a high-quality product, when consumers are looking for something that they can consume, feeling like that it's a conscious choice. We benefit from that, but only if we do our bit. Well, I don't want to get into the, the leaders' no. punch and duty show, no. but uh, in, in some of the politics of late, it's been very unattractive. So what I say to them is take the people with you, take the community with you, even in the Prime Minister, it looks like she might probably get re-elected. You know, I encourage you even come to my farm, engage with people like myself, and we'll probably find we've got a lot in common. We're heading back up the track now and Chris shows me the bush where he and his family and kids from the local school planted thousands of trees six years ago. We've still got a lot to do here. I still, our, we reckon when we've finished 40 to 50,000 native trees we've hung here. Wow. So, so is the tree planting the most, I guess, environmental thing that you can do? No, like on this farm here, we used to irrigate to 30 hectares of effluent to, to our pasture. Yeah. Liquid and solids, yeah. fertiliser. And when I talk about it before, I spent quite a hundred, three hundred thousands of dollars on my effluent system. Part of it was actually taking that uh, liquids and solids out to about over 200 hectares. And we use it as a main fertiliser now. And so instead of putting it on a small bit of land which caused in hindsight, probably you know, stored a lot of nutrients on 30 hectares, and it probably was some, there was some leakage to the, to, the, to the local stream. One of the things the farmers have done now is actually expanded the effluent areas. Yeah. So it's a win-win for growing more grass. It's a win-win because it saves you less fertilizer costs, and it was also good for the environment. And so, can you swim in your local streams and rivers? Can your kids swim in them? Well, look, to be honest. I've got a pool, <laughs> and I bet 99% of New Zealanders use the pool, the lake, or the harbour, you know? They could do, if, if, if you wanted to. Like, you... my neighbours down here, they suck water out of the stream for their farm cows and for their house. So, um, yes, you can swarm, yes, you can do that. Farmer mental health. How serious is it? It's an issue. Like I don't suffer for myself, but I know quite a few people do. But I guess is is it mental health or stress? You know, I do suffer. Like most farmers, you get stressed out. And, and for some farmers, stress leads to mental health outcomes. Farmers wear their heart on the sleeve. You know, too wet, too cold, too dry, too this. Bit of whinging. Um, when you we go farming, you buy a farm and. You dream of a life, 
but we didn't dream of a life where I had to sit in my office and do additional work that we never dreamed of. And, and well, yes, compliance, milk quality, all those things, yes, it's always been part of farming. But uh, on a lot of farms now, the most experienced person is now actually got to do a lot of paper shuffling. So, and is that, do you think that is the, the big thing that's contributing? It's just the weight of it. Actually, there's another big hurdle to decline. Mm. If I'm going to be a law-abiding citizen, and a lot of these people who are pushing back will comply with the law, and like, it goes against their DNA of not complying with laws, being a, a, a good New Zealand citizen, is that I'm going to be non-compliant. This is actually really stressful. With these freshwater rules, will you be able to, you know, sign off the bits of paper and say, I've, I do all that? I'm very heavily involved in feds. I've been in a lot of these water meetings. I've seen all the rules, the background. And I still don't understand how it's going to apply to my farm. And that's the problem, even though a local regional council, even they're struggling. So the people who've got to implement the rules are struggling. The problem, I guess, with listeners are probably thinking, well, farmers don't like all the rules. Well, actually, there are some really good rules in there. OK. There's just some of the rules, part of the sections are just unworkable. I've still a long way to go, I know that. And I'm not going to solve it this year or next year. It's going to take me another 10 years to have something I'm proud of here. Because I'm short of money, short of capital, you know, like a lot of farmers. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell and Jesse Chang. And thanks to Chris Lewis. Kia pai tō rā.